Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I am your host, Alex Danzig. We're excited to announce that we are bringing the Cafe Bitcoin Conversation Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Max Kaiser, Lynn Alden, Thomas Strolight, Corey Clipston, and many others from the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button to make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode, or you can join us live on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, every morning and become part of the conversation yourself. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Check, check this thing working. Yeah, you're good, man. Lima Charlie. You like that, huh? Lima Charlie. <laughs> I just like copying things you say because you say it's so cool and I try to do my best at imitating it. Like crush it, try to do that. Shane did a great job on the <laughs> outro on Friday. He was he loved it. He he killed it, man. How's my mic Lee, working? Lima Charlie. Lima Charlie. I did to get on the mission. Not as good as you. Your mic is Lima Charlie, Stacy. Lima Charlie. Okay, yeah, I guess I. Loud. I think it's loud and clear. If you're a military. Oh, loud and clear. Well, you know, I, we live not too far from. Should know this stuff. I'm pretty excited this morning. A because Max and Stacy are going to hang out, but B because there's so much fucking cool shit going on. Oh my god. All right, let's get a couple quick things out of the way. By the way, uh, Stacy, thanks for hanging out this morning. Really excited. You are listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. A couple of uh, quick things so that we don't have to announce them later is Swan has got this new thing called the Bitcoin Benefit Plan. If you're an employer, you want to give Bitcoin to your employees for improving retention and recruitment. It's seamless. We have this thing set up where you can give employees some Bitcoin monthly. Um, and it's really cool because it's it's wrapped with Swan education. So what we're doing is we're working with the employers to figure out an educational program to basically orange pill your employees. Pretty cool. You can check that out at swan.com slash benefit. And then next, we've got the daily Bitcoiner, Corey.substack.com. This is a daily newsletter curated by Corey. Whatever he thinks is kind of the most important things people should be checking out, um, go check it out, Corey.substack.com. All right. Uh, I'm going to tell you guys a quick story while we're waiting for everybody to get in here. This weekend was uh, Bitcoin Day. And uh, it was my very first time ever speaking at a Bitcoin conference. Yay, go me. Um, I don't know why the hell he invited me, but it was a lot of fun. Um, Greg Foss was killing it. One of the best things that, one of the best things said in the entire conference, I think, was Greg Foss. He was um, talking about fiat currencies and comparing them to crack houses. And he said that the US dollar is like the best crack house on a crack street which I thought was fucking hilarious. Good morning, Max. Hello, hello, hello. 
Hello, hello. <clears throat> Another really funny thing while everybody's filtering in here. Apparently, RugPal is out there saying that Bitcoin maxis are really mean. Don't be mean, guys. He's so sensitive. And he looks like a waxwork as well. It looks like he's about to melt any second. Well, he also said projects like Ethereum and Luna were risk-free. So who really cares about what he has to say, in my opinion? Don't shitcoin is bad for you. Not even joking about that. 100% serious right now. Can I take this opportunity to give a massive shout to Max and Stacy? Because I started watching their RT show back in 2013. And they orange-pilled me, I think, before the term orange-pill was even a thing. And, um, yeah, loved that show. Hell yeah. Like yeah. Matt, go ahead, Stacey. <laughs> yeah, and I hope we have um, some also more news for you on that. Uh, that will have a replacement for the OG Orange Pillar, which was Kaiser Report. And hopefully we'll have something else. You know, when you talk about Rug Pal, it really makes me think of, you know, if you go over to Elzonta Capital, we've just announced a big investment from Bitfinex into our fund. And I was, you know, really thinking about this hyper-Bitcoinization starting to hit nation states. And one thing that has really dawned on me is that, you know, nation states really can't afford to get wrecked. You know, getting wrecked is a, is a valid, <laughs> a very good way to learn about Bitcoin, i.e. when you get wrecked on all those shit coins, it helps you understand very rapidly why Bitcoin and not shit coins. But these nation states, like, you know, imagine having built your monetary system upon UST, a Luna Terra anchor scam, and then it just disappears overnight. Well, you know, uh, that, that's not really an option for a nation state. Yeah, it's kind of insane if you think about it. You know, can, can you guys stop trading, please? We need to restart the network. What the fuck is that? <laughs> There's probably a reason why a nation state hasn't, like, you know, made, I don't know, Ethereum or Solana legal tender. There's probably a real good reason. <laughs> probably because they shut the bed after they saw um, Vitalik's tweet storm last week. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, too. Okay, we're going to give it another 10 minutes as people filter into the room. Typically, the numbers of people goes up as we approach... Um, you know, the middle of the hour or whatever. I want to get as many people in here as possible before we go with Max and Stacy's really cool fucking announcement that I'm super stoked to hear. So let's just talk about some other stuff here really quick. I had this really sad thing happen. I got, I got a DM from a person who they bought a ledger, they had some Bitcoin on it, and then they were having some trouble with the ledger. And um, there's this fake account. It's a Twitter account. They thought it was actually ledger support. They asked them for help. They thought they were actually talking to a ledger support person. And they directed them to a website. What's it called? I'm just going to fucking call these people out because they're assholes. LiveEncryptOnline.com. Right? So they direct them to go here. And then they direct them to sync up quote, sync up their ledger. And in order to do that, they have to put in their seed phrase. You know, oh, the man. Point. 
So the person puts in their seed phrase and of course they lose all their Bitcoin and uh, you know, life savings kind of thing. Really sad story. The moral of the story, people do not ever give anybody your seed phrase ever, 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 ever. Like nobody's going to ask you for it. If there is a legit company, they're not going to ask you for your seed phrase guys. Don't do it. That should be like one of you know those warnings you get on cigarette packets on every single hardware wallet or signing device, whatever you want to call it. There should be that. There should be that warning. Never give out your seed phrase. Surgeon Surgeon General's warning, don't give out seed phrases. And Fuck one yeah. other thing one other thing, Alex, if you don't mind me saying in a you know, I don't know that person's individual situation but also unless it's absolutely necessary i would also argue never be in in a super big hurry you know on this kind of stuff especially if it's life savings type stuff just think about it multiple times just really make sure you're ready to do what you're about to do <laughs> and, and get some get some bitcoiner friends who know what the fuck they're doing and That's ask right. them, yep. ask them before you do something like that just say hey this seems a little you know, sketchy. Should I be doing this? <laughs> That's what this place is for. You know what I mean? Like, follow Shane. Shoot him a DM. Ask him. He's He'll help you. you know, okay, before... Go ahead, Shane. I was just going to say one other thing. I think that what also would be helpful is for people to begin to gain more confidence that that their Bitcoin is is safe, you know, and at their address, quote unquote, if you will. So in other words, that should also give people a, a little bit of, uh, you know, a, ability to relax, right? Until like they do, like you said, ask someone else, whatever, just be sure that you're ready to do that. I mean, nothing's going to happen unless you absolutely need it right then, right that second. Take it slow. You know what would be cool is if we can get kind of, well, we've got Max and Stacy here. I'd love to hear a little bit more about any inside sort of insights that you got from hanging out with uh, Ricardo Salinas. Um, and then like what's new in your lives, like what's going on, what's fun, what's cool before we do the announcement here in about five minutes. Let me, let me jump in here. So uh, with Ricardo, what, it, what I was able to confirm, which I had a suspicion of, is that Bitcoin is giving him a new life to be a billionaire pleb. And that, you know, businessmen, when they get really successful, it gets boring because um, they don't have the challenge so much anymore because their worth is, net worth has hit a certain autopilot stage. But with uh, Ricardo and Bitcoin, you know, he's back in the trenches. He's back as a noob. He's back as a beginner. He's back as an entrepreneur. And he loves being a pleb. He loves being into something new and it just goes to show you that some people are just love the entrepreneurialism of bitcoin and their entrepreneurs uh gravitate toward it i think the people who are super successful who are not um gravitating toward bitcoin are typically people like a warren buffett's a great example he's somebody who's sucked on the fiat money teeth for 40 50 years he's not an entrepreneur he's a rentier and Bitcoin scares him because it would be like having to get a real job for the first time in his life. 
But, you know, for the entrepreneurs out there that are really building stuff, uh, Bitcoin is a great rebirth and they're having a lot of fun. Yes, I would concur exactly with what Max said regarding Uncle Ricky and being a billionaire pleb. I mean, we've known we've known his father for a very long time and then for almost 20 years. And then we've known Uncle Ricky for like 10 years. But just to see him become a like a pleb, like a toxic Bitcoin maximalist is just a wonderful thing. And I think our film that we made for Swan Bitcoin and uh, it airs on Bitcoin Magazine's uh, YouTube channel. I think you it comes across. It show you you see he's he's just the guy has so much energy. I have to say, like me and Max and all of our young uh, you know camera crew and Uncle Ricky's son Hugo Salinas. You know, we were all like wiped out by the end of the day, and Uncle Ricky was like running around wanting to stop at other bits of the mining facility and the electric grid and. Oh my God, we were like, come on, let's, can we just go sit down and have a cocktail? And, uh, you know, it's fun <laughs> to hang out with him. And I think he's, um, he's going to be uh, in, a bigger and bigger presence in the Bitcoin space over the next few years. That's exciting. It's exciting because um, better than hearing from like a billionaire once, like, yeah, I own Bitcoin, yeah, whatever. Like if he's actually going to get involved and he's actually going to be out there advocating and he's going to be teaching people stuff, that's powerful. Yeah, and we're hoping actually, I'm trying to arrange the spaces that we're going to host also with you on Swan Bitcoin uh, with us and Uncle Ricky. So, you know, he, he was away for a while and just got back to uh, Mexico. So you know, I think he's been busy for the last two or three weeks, but hopefully... In the next week or two, we'll have uh, spaces with him and uh, get ready for that. That is absolutely fantastic. By the way, um, Swan Signal Live on Wednesday. Max is going to be on with Greg Foss. That should be a freaking explosive show. Excited about that. I'll tell you what, hanging out with like Greg this last weekend, the dude's he's really uh an interesting cat he's just so super genuine and um very powerful very powerful dude um okay so we're coming up at that 15 minute mark i am super excited i know a lot of people um are just really quick um i want to tell you guys a quick story next stacy um i was talking to a dude last week called me up and it was part of this Celsius thing. Like Corey is like telling people who are on Celsius, Hey, show me proof that you took a Bitcoin off of Celsius and into self custody. We're going to give you a year of Swan private membership for free. And, um, so this one guy, I ended up talking to him and he's like, yeah, I've been buying all my stuff on Coinbase, et cetera, but I'm a maxi. He goes, I decided to switch to Swan just to support you guys because of what you guys are doing. But he goes, He's like, I found Bitcoin through Max and Stacy, like back in the day. And, uh, you know, this guy has nothing but amazing things to say about you guys. But here's the here's the interesting part about this cat. His company is very successful, makes a lot of money. He, get, he has millions in free cash flow every couple months. Here's the thing. Sold his house, sold his cars, doesn't really do anything fiat lifestyle ish. And it's not like he couldn't, and I'm not saying this to kind of say that everybody should do this. It's not the point. The point is, this guy is like 
I just think the whole freaking fiat system is unfair and it's wrong and it's cruel and it's it's destructive to people's lives. So I'm going to put every dime I make into Bitcoin to defund that fucked up system. I love it. You can tell he's been watching our content for years. And I love hearing that. You know, I think, you know, somebody mentioned earlier on, you know, the fact that Kaiser Report was distributed all over the world. But mostly, like, we had a huge audience in Latin America because our show was dubbed into Spanish. And so there were a lot of – the distribution of Bitcoin went far and wide largely because of – you know, well, not largely because of, but, but we had a, a big role in it, I think, of spreading it to around the world, partly because, you know, our – show broadcast on a channel that was not corporate Western media. And, you know, I know most people listening right now, if you're in America, Europe, you know, you're going to embrace BBC and CNN and MSNBC. And those are, you know, the, the sort of um, content you might support, but in places like Latin America and Africa and parts of Asia, you know, they might be more like, Hey, I don't want to listen to us corporate media and I prefer to get my news from somewhere else. So I think it, it's an interesting distribution that happened from the early days of Bitcoin. And I always love hearing stories like that of people who found Bitcoin because of our show. Feels good. It really does. Um, all right. So Max or Stacy, um, you guys want to tell us a little bit about what's what's going on? You guys have a big announcement. Yeah, Stacy, what's going on? <laughs> well, uh, I can announce that Bitfinex have made a very sizable contribution to El Zante Capital. You know, we just uh, formed El Zante Capital with our partner Corey Clipston of Swan Bitcoin. In the you know, it's only it was we announced it a few months ago, but uh, we only just formed it in the past a few weeks. So Bitfinex are coming in. Bitfinex and I have been working very closely over the past few months in El Salvador. It's not been really public, but we've been working together on various initiatives, including, uh, you know, building out an education initiative. People have probably seen that there's a lot of education stuff, Bitcoin education happening in El Salvador, including with me, Premier, and the, uh, which is a very basic Bitcoin 101 sort of course being taught at high schools across El Salvador. Then you also have... Um, Torgo's Dev, who are kind of like uh, you know a um, chain code lab sort of mid mid level you know intensive uh, boot camp for coders, and then I'm doing something with Jimmy Song on the higher bit of it, uh, the advanced elite uh, coders. So we're building a base of Bitcoiners in El Salvador, and Bitfinex is helping. You know, I'm, I'm working with them on building out some of that in El Salvador as well, fitting in that. On top of that, we're also distributing the $2 million worth of Bitcoin raised for uh, the El Salvador Solidarity Fund, and we'll be doing that in two weeks. So with that, it was like kind of natural for them to come in and uh, support what we're doing, investing in Bitcoin in El Salvador and hyper-Bitcoinization. Um, Max and I have a long history. Like We had a VC fund, Bitcoin Capital One, Two, and Three, three different funds under one umbrella, uh, and you know, we made our first significant investments during the 2013 to 2015 uh, Bitcoin winter, 
And those, of course, uh, that's a good time to invest is in a bear market. And of course, they did do very well. Like we invested in Kraken at a $5 million valuation, which is now well over $10 billion valuation. And, you know, we feel that El Salvador and this hyper-Bitcoinization is at the similar stage as exchanges were back then, because of course, at that time, there was only Mt. Gox and the Mt. Gox fell apart. And it was natural to invest in exchanges because people needed on and off ramps into, well, hopefully just on ramps into Bitcoin. And at that time, that was the right move to make. Today, we believe the right move to make is to invest in El Salvador. Um, We have a good track record on on seed investing and finding young entrepreneurs and and betting big on them and i think we're going to find those in el salvador and we're and we're glad you know we're happy that bitfinex believes in us after you know our our relationship with them and they have faith in us and uh i think they're betting big uh yeah if i can follow up so um you know on the theme of el salvador and hyper bitcoinization max and stacy have always been on the leading edge or the cutting edge of this industry going back to 2011. And so when El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender, it was clear that we needed to go there and uh, just be a part of the global Bitcoinization as it becomes world reserve currency. And the president is so orange-pilled. It's really amazing. They just hosted 44 central bankers in El Salvador for a big orange pill session. Uh, that's a mass orange pilling on the sovereign level. And uh, it just shows you how far into this they are and how far ahead they are of everybody else. So the fund is definitely picking up on that theme. And, um, you know, we're excited. What incredibly huge news from last week, right? The 44 countries with central banks, monetary authorities, my understanding um if I don't have this wrong, is, is that they were all in there installing Bitcoin wallets on their phones, walking around, seeing how they could basically just spend Bitcoin to buy things from the local merchants, et cetera. That had to be a like mind-blowing paradigm shift for a lot of these folks. Yeah, well, kudos to the government and the organizers for that. And that's going to have, you know, the global south, essentially, is getting arms built. And uh, it's going to take a big leap ahead of the global north. The global north is still stuck on stupid. You've got Christine Lagarde, who's uh, making some more ill-informed comments about quote-unquote crypto this week. You've got Davos meeting uh, with uh, a huge collection of financially illiterate fiat money dunderheads. Uh, so the global north, it, you know, the, as, as, as history tells us, the, the weak shall inherit the earth. Uh, you know, sometimes when you're on the bottom, you end up on the top. And when you're on the top, you end up on the bottom. I think starting this year, we're seeing a huge change in the global economy, uh, one that we haven't seen in half a, half a century. And that is a huge shift of power to new players with uh, new money. It's called Bitcoin. And to return to your point about the 44 central bankers, well, it was 32 central bankers and uh, four. Or, thir- or no, 12 uh, financial authorities. They were given, they downloaded the Bitcoin Beach wallet, which was developed by Nicholas Berti and Galloy. And that's our, one of our first investments actually from Azante Capital or Easy Cap, as we like to shorten it. Um, so they all downloaded the Bitcoin Beach wallet and 
using it, as you know, is the first step in getting orange pilled. And I think hopefully we'll see at least say 10% of them go back and, you know, have an altered perception. I mean, you can't, you can't deny the financial inclusion. You can't deny how easy it is once you, once you see what, once you see hyper Bitcoinization and it's, it's important for everybody to make that pilgrimage to Bitcoin beach, El Zante uh, in El Salvador, because the hyper-Bitcoinization is real there. And Max and I have been in Bitcoin for a very long time. And that's the first place I've ever been, which is hyper-Bitcoinized. And, you know, really kudos goes to Nicholas Bertie because his, the, the thing, what he did in Bitcoin Beach is extraordinary, perhaps not really well known, but, you know, he, in 2019, he moved there from Silicon Valley in order to basically prove exactly what he achieved and that is hyper bitcoinization using lightning because remember back in 2019 lightning was very difficult to use and who would have ever imagined it would become so easy to use so fast that everybody down to the pupusa seller on a dollar transaction in el zante are just fluent in lightning it's incredible like uh if you think about how once you see that, and I know you've experienced this, I know a lot of people in this room have experienced this, that once they, once somebody sees it, right, you can't unsee it. Like when you see how simple it is to install a wallet, you see money transferred in and then you can go spend it. Like it's got to be just absolutely mind-blowing for those folks. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with all of that. I want to congratulate both of you on um, the investment from Bitfinex into El Zanti Capital. That is freaking amazing and fantastic and incredible. Um, what are some of the criteria that you use when you're moving forward, when you're going to be selecting entrepreneurs and projects to work with, um, with El Zanti Capital? Well, uh, obviously, hyper-Bitcoinization, anything that can assist and aid in that. Um, as I said, as you know, the room was first opening as well, um, I think on the nation-state level, they can't really afford to get wrecked. That's a, obviously a fun part of being in the whole Bitcoin Twitter space is like your stories are getting wrecked on various shitcoins. But that's not really an option on the nation-state level or certainly on the monetary infrastructure level. So anything that helps, um, you know, with that side of, of, of securing the system, the financial grid for um, a nation state. Yeah. Also, also you know, in the, um, when I've done these types of venture capital investing, I've always put a lot of emphasis on, on the jockey and not so much on the horse. So uh, doing a startup is incredibly grueling. Uh, I remember when I first met Jack Mahlers, I knew instantly he was going to be a success because he had the mindset and he had the stamina. So uh, that's the kind of thing I look for is a young, talented, but you got to have the stamina. You got to have the mental toughness because the first two or three years, you're literally immersed in a shitstorm of startup world. And you have to be able to withstand that. Um, typically, people who come out of a more... They've had work experience, even though they might be young, they they have a lot of work experience versus, let's say, 
purely academic types who are just not prepared. It's like uh, college hockey players trying to make it in the NHL. Uh, sometimes they burn out pretty quick versus uh, players that have, you know, grew up on the potato farm in Saskatchewan and they can withstand the grueling pace of the NHL. So that's what I look for. I look for the, I look for the jockey, not necessarily the horse. Yeah. And we hope to find the, the first Salvadoran Bitcoin unicorns as well. We've already invested in our Bitcoin capital funds. We have, I think it's five unicorns. Um, Max would know better, but five, five, maybe even six unicorns that we ended up investing in. And uh, we hope to have the first Bitcoin uh, unicorn in El Salvador as well. I like what you're saying about the grit and uh, the stamina and the mental toughness because, um, uh, yeah, I think it's important. If you're an entrepreneur, you're thinking about doing something in Bitcoin. Um, I just wish you the best. Connect with Max and Stacy, show them what you got. Maybe you'll be the next unicorn. If people are interested in um, getting further involved in Elzanti Capital, what's the best way to do it? either as investors or otherwise. Well, you can just go to our Twitter handle, which is El Zante Capital, and there's a link to um, <clears throat> invest via, you know, angel list. And, you know, there is a $25,000 minimum, but if, if you don't have that to invest, then there will, there should be an option coming up via a different platform for uh, people with smaller amounts to invest. But yeah, we're, we're betting big on El Salvador and, you know, the whole region, Central America, Latin America, and then anywhere that can hyper-Bitcoinize those sort of uh, 44 central bankers that came to El Salvador. I think, um, as Max said, you know, those who were at the, the bottom come to the top and vice versa. And I think there's a, there's a change, a huge epochal shift happening and uh we, we hope to be at the front of it exciting time to be alive um if we let's open it up if you have if you're up here on the panel you have questions for max and stacy if you're in the audience you have questions you can raise your hand come up on the stage and ask your question directly if you want to ask your question in text t.me slash cafe bitcoin club on telegram t.me slash cafe bitcoin club i've got a question i'm curious you know we talked about um salinas a little bit i'm curious max or stacy or both of you how likely you think it is that mexico maybe is the next uh, nation state to you know make bitcoin legal tender well definitely uh, yeah Definitely the, uh, the, the attendees at that event in El Salvador, we had uh, many nations who are aggressively being orange-billed. And um, I think Mexico is in the mix. I don't know if I would say it's the next. Um, I'm not sure how close it is, but I, th I think, you know, Ricardo Salinas is a big name. In he's a very prominent name in Bitcoin. He's... He's got a big platform in Mexico. And so many people are hearing about Bitcoin because of Uncle Ricky. 
But also, um, you know, Mexico is also similar design to the U.S. in terms of like the individual states have a lot of power. So maybe you might have a state introduce more Bitcoin friendly legislation, kind of like, you know, in the way the U.S. is, is having similar down to the city level, like Austin or Miami or, well, Miami's more shit coining, but, you know, you might see some sort of thing like that happening there. Uh, I'm not, I'm not totally sure of, of whether or not the central government will be in the next round, but there is a next round of, of nation states adopting coming soon, but whether or not it could, it will be Mexico because of just the sheer size and how much uh, they get to, they can print their own money still. So uh, I'm not sure about Mexico. Hey, good morning, Max and Stacy. Do you guys think <clears throat> legal tender is maybe the only measurement uh, to take in nation state adoption or also including uh, like what Panama is doing in tax-free transactions, which is like a by proxy. And then by the end of the year, what are we looking at? One to two, three to five new nations coming on board. What do you think? Well, legal tender is a step along the way. Um, and um, ultimately, Bitcoin becomes global reserve standard. And um, the notion of legal tender in nation states as well will probably dissolve along with fiat money. So that was an antiquated concept called nation state will go the way of fiat money. So um, and by the end of this year, um, in terms of additional nation states jumping in, um, yeah, I think we'll see uh, plenty um, and all over the world in different pockets. Uh, Africa is certainly right. Um, we have already another country in Africa this that's made Bitcoin legal tender. So I think that'll spread pretty rapidly all over Central America. And um, so we'll see plenty, yeah. Um, I think, so, I mean, look at Nigeria. Okay, Nigeria is on the path to hyper-Bitcoinization through sheer use from the population. And the population turned to Bitcoin because during the pandemic with the liquidity drying up in US dollars, you know, they needed something to turn to because their economy couldn't afford to shut down. So they had to continue uh, importing cars, say, from Japan or China, and they needed to pay for it. And Bitcoin was a solution. However, you know, the IMF is not threatening them. The World Bank is not threatening them. The U.S. Department of Justice is not threatening them. So there is something to be said of obviously there is more power in making it legal tender. There's something is different about how those two nations, El Salvador and Nigeria, are being treated. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's up to you whether you think that. But I, I feel like it's uh, forcing the hand of the cantillionaires in control of the global monetary system. So it reveals a lot. Yeah, it's exciting because that's that's – that's kind of like what I was talking about with that guy who was like, I'm just not going to fund the fiat Ponzi. Anymore. I'm taking the money out and putting it into Bitcoin, right? So slowly over time, if people are doing that, and then it turns into sort of the Bitcoin circular economy where people are in Bitcoin, they're receiving payments in Bitcoin for their businesses and their services. and They're storing their wealth in Bitcoin. That completely just removes human energy from the fiat scam. 
it's fucking fantastic. I want to welcome up Gerson. Good morning, Gerson. How are you doing, Gerson Martinez? Hey, good morning. I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, thanks for uh, having me up here. Um, real quick, uh, and I and I may have missed this, uh, Stacy, when you mentioned it, but have you guys opened up the subscription process um, uh, for uh, EasyCap? And I think you mentioned 25k being the kind of the threshold for LPs. Is is, is that right? Is that is that the level? And then what's your kind of subscription? process and timeline hey harrison um yeah it's twenty five thousand via angel list and you know which is we're working with u.s investors and stuff um we're working with bank to the future to provide an avenue for people with a lower amount of capital to participate Mm -hmm. but that might take another month or so for the the process of the paperwork and stuff like that to be filed But right now, you, if you go to the Twitter handle of El Zante Capital, there is a link to the uh, AngelList page for, uh, you know, those able to, you know, to contribute more than 25000 Perfect. Got it. Okay, cool. I, I, I think I missed that part earlier, Stacey. My, uh, my bad. But um, uh, sounds good. I will, I will uh, look into that. Thanks very much, guys. Okay. I'll see, we'll, we'll see you next week in El, in El Salvador. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see you in a couple of days. <laughs> Good morning, BJ Dichter. How you doing, brother? It's good to see everybody. Um, a quick question for Max and Stacey, or I guess two quick questions. Um, you know, the, the time I've been in Bitcoin, which has been since like 2016 or something, just as kind of side hobby sort of thing, I've always seen that there's two different worlds, having spent a lot of time in Latin America, that in the Western world, um, where people are speculating on Bitcoin, I don't want to say speculating, but you know what I mean, as a hedge against the fiat system. And as they go down the rabbit hole, that's a way to protect their wealth. I see, I've always seen there's, there's a different, there's a more of a use case because uh, so many people that I know, uh, I'm in Latin America right now, in Colombia, so many people I know down here are, are either debanked or the banking system here is just a nightmare. Like Westerners don't understand how difficult it is to bank in Latin America, at least from my experience. I think a lot of that has changed since the trucking convoy. There's a lot of people who were following us and saw that the only way truckers were able to get donations were through Bitcoin, that everything else was in effect stolen by our government and but at least that money was able to get through. So I'm down here in Latin America for a couple of months, seeing friends, catching up with stuff. And of course, like all of us, I try to orange pill absolutely everybody I meet <laughs> to the point where it gets annoying sometimes, but whatever, it is what it is, we all joke about it. And so I have a couple of friends that are, uh, you know, they're, they're poor, they struggle more financially, they work regular, uh, it was regular jobs, if you will. And I'm trying to get them into Bitcoin. And I've, I've sent them some Bitcoin uh, in the past. So they have some wallets and we're trying to convert it into pesos. But unfortunately, there's no Alzante or the infrastructure here is quite, uh, it's not, not very robust. <clears throat> so two examples, you know, we've, we've gone to a few cajeros. Uh, that have these signs that say, oh, yeah, buy and sell Bitcoin here. 
And you go and you talk to the people, say, well, how can I sell my Bitcoin? And the response is, yo no sé, I don't know. And then so you look at the, the alternative means of, okay, well, we can go to a Bitcoin um, uh, ATM that distributes pesos. And I think here Athena is a very popular one. And they're always out of service. They never have any, any pesos to distribute. So I'm here trying to, trying to get everybody excited about Bitcoin, explain it to them. They're finally on board. They got a little bit and they want to. Uh, they want to transact and they want to sell and use Bitcoin uh, in Latin America as they need to. And they just can't. They keep coming up a, a, amongst these roadblocks that are just, you know, the infrastructure of, you know, the Bitcoin world. We're just in Latin America. There's a lot of uh, loopholes. Is this um, is this something that you think El Zante Capital can help with, maybe expand beyond just El Salvador to help consult with people in different countries just to get the infrastructure set up? Or uh, can you think of any solutions for that? Uh, maybe not. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, we're definitely investing in that sort of thing. That's what we said at the top was that, you know, primarily we're interested in El Salvador, but also the region, uh, in particular Central America and then Latin America. So, um, hyper Bitcoinization, that's part, that's an investment in hyper Bitcoinization right there that you just mentioned is like how to make that, that sort of on and off ramp and, you know, um, use for commerce, because what you're seeing in, in El Zante is like the use case exactly as you described there. These are people who have no, there were no, there were no ATMs in El Zante. There were no um, banking facilities for most small businesses available to those in Alzante. So you had to build the entire infrastructure. And sure, definitely, that includes regional. Anything that could um, help Alzante should be able to help in Colombia. And also commerce between all of those regions, like to facilitate that. I know that's a big issue in Africa, for example, especially where there is just like really difficult apparently to just trade between the nations, partly because of the, the capital markets infrastructure there. But there's no reason for that in, in a post Bitcoin world. Like we have Bitcoin now and there's no reason for that sort of absurdity. Yes. Excuse me. The possibilities here are pretty exciting. It just reminds me of um, that article that came out from the gentleman from uh, Deutsche Bank. I think it was Deutsche Bank, or was it Credit Suisse? Anyway, talking about how like money will never be the same after this war. Pointing Zoltan. Out. Zoltan. Yeah. yeah, that's the guy. Just pointing out that you know. If the nation state can't trust the nation state who has control of the payment rails, what are you going to do? And it's just like the timing of this is incredible. Yep. February 26th, everything changed. And some, most people haven't noticed that or recognized that, but it changed and there's no going back. So this is why this is part of the urgency of El Zante Capital, because we need to build you know, the life raft as fast as possible because everything is different. Everything changed February 26th. 
I like that analogy. Build a life raft as fast as possible. Get on the mission. Yep. The U.S. froze reserves on February 26th, and that was the end. They're the ones that imploded the, you know, it was like UST. There was literally UST. U.S. Treasuries got frozen, and, and that was the implosion moment. Whether or not people have recognized it yet, it's, it's their problem. They, they're the ones that need to recognize it. But we see it, and that's what we're um, investing in. Yeah, because at this point, countries have two choices, right? They try and move gold around the world, which has its own problems. Or they can just use Bitcoin and Lightning to move, move any amount of value anywhere. And nobody can stop them. Nobody controls those payment rails. There is no CEO. There's no group of people in a dark room who's going to approve or disprove that transaction, right? For people who are new, I haven't heard about this. You know, the U.S. basically cut Russia off from the U.S. dollar monetary system. And Russia's reaction to that was, okay, well, you want to buy energy, pay in rubles. If you're friendly, you can pay in Bitcoin. That... It's mind-blowing. It's not even just that. It's like they actually froze reserves, which is um, unheard of. But they also did it to Afghanistan. And um, who else? They, did, they, they stole somebody else's reserves. It's like this is three times in the course of uh, like a six-month period. And it's, 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 it's getting worse and worse. It's, it seems to be building. Like once they do it once – you're going to do it twice. And if you do it twice, you're going to do it four times. And if you do it four times, you're going to do it 20 times. So who's next? Obviously, China is clearly in their actions worried about this. So what they do, who, we just have to sit and watch. But in the meantime, we could protect ourselves by stacking as much Bitcoin as you possibly can. Being like that guy you described, who's like who has cash flow of millions of dollars, but he's like getting rid of every single fiat he can because he sees what's coming. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you just said like people, you know, countries are worried about it. I mean, wouldn't you be, I mean, shit, it's kind of like if, if countries were all sitting at a monopoly board and the United States was the banker, right. And had control of everybody's savings and could at any point in time just say, okay, Russia, we're freezing you out of the game. Everybody else can keep playing. I mean, everybody sitting at that game would be looking at each other like, what the fuck? But also the, the Canadian truckers, that was on an individual level that you think, holy shit. <laughs> like, my political opinion. I mean, we've also seen it in the U.S. Like, not so much like the Canadian truckers had their actual cash frozen. But in the U.S., you're starting to see that the build towards that we're at the moment we're just having like deplatforming or you know silencing voices but the trend seems to be in that direction of doing what canada did to the truckers yeah for sure and it's terrifying i mean it, even people who donated to the truckers there were there were stories of people who donated as little as 40 dollars who had all their bank accounts and everything frozen for, for making a donation. And you're right. That's like what you're seeing, for example, in America is <clears throat> if your business does things that, that the woke wokerati doesn't approve of, then you get deplatformed. You can no longer accept or transact. Right. So your means 
of feeding your family is basically cut off instantly by these people. It's messed up. BJ. Sorry, I'll get cut off again. Every time I speak, I get cut off for some reason. Somebody at the Fed or in Canada doesn't like me. Um, but just to tack on to what you said, Stacey, I try to explain this to everybody so they understand the severity. It's my bank accounts, my credit cards, my lines of credit, my corporate accounts, absolutely everything that I have in my life and me and 300 other people um, were blocked completely. So I went to log on to my bank account to see what the hell was going on when I couldn't process a transaction. And my entire banking history was wiped. So I have a corporate account that's been operated for several years. I would log on like it's never even existed. There was still a balance there, but no transactions. Even my bookkeeper called me and said, what the hell is going on? I can't reconcile any books for this year's, you know, for taxes at the end of the year. I'm like, I don't know. Apparently we have martial law. So I was sitting there with a broken leg. I couldn't buy medicine. I couldn't buy food. I couldn't buy anything. Now, unlike everybody else in the convoy, I was a little less worried because I do, I did have Bitcoin. So if I absolutely needed to, I could find means to sell the Bitcoin and get some cash, which is why it's so important. We're trying to explain to people uh, whether they like Bitcoin or not, it's a hedge that you need just to sur just for survival as we go through this cultural war, right? But yeah, it's not just bank accounts. It was absolutely everything. Like I've been wiped off the face of the earth and the government was trying to starve us. It's absolutely crazy. Sorry, guys. I mean, you know, it's crazy. Like, like, listen, people, listen. This is this is not conspiracy theory stuff. This stuff is happening now in Canada, Canada. And you know what else, Alex? My, uh, I mean, we had a whole group of lawyers helping us. Um, my personal lawyer, he said to me, "Listen, you got to be not careful, but just be cognizant of the fact that you may be red flagged now." And I said, "What do you mean?" He said. Well, we know how opaque the banking system is, the fiat system, unlike Bitcoin. So you may have a red flag on your file that you will never know what it is, but you may be denied banking services. So, you know, during this convoy, I also <laughs> wrecked my car, ended up in a tree in the snow. So I'm going through this process right now to see if I can get a car loan. I shouldn't be denied of it. I have more than enough to cover it, but I'm going to go through this process. It'll be interesting to see if I'm red flagged and if I'm denied and I'm not told why. So that's the state of the system in the Western world when you have differing political opinions. And it's crazy. And this is why we're always trying to tell people, like with our protests and all that sort of stuff, uh, we need to protect everybody's right to protest, left, right, center, it doesn't matter. Because if not, anybody who goes against the right for free speech and protest, it's going to boomerang and hit you. And it's going to hit you now in the financial model, right? Because now, like Stacey's right when she said this is just the beginning, 100%. Because now that they set this precedent of, well, well we don't like how pe people who have certain opinions um, that we disagree with, we're just going to debank them. Well, as Christopher Friedland, the finance minister, said, They've implemented new tools in Canada. Well, there's a new tool. You say something the government doesn't like, boom, they're going to try to starve you. And uh, if, that, 
if that was successful there, what other countries are going to emulate it? Yeah. Okay. We're going to pause right there. Uh, we've got about 10 minutes left to the top of the hour. We've got Max and Stacy here. They've made this incredible announcement about um, they've had a large inve investment from Bitfinex into Elzanti Capital, which is what they're using to invest in amazing companies that's going to move the world towards hyper Bitcoinization. Let's hit a couple announcements real quick. Get that out of the way and we'll keep rolling. You are listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. Never been here before. We talk about Bitcoin. It's a great place to get your morning news, a preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds of Bitcoin to come in and chill, talk about what's going on. It's also a podcast. It's up on Spotify, Apple. Everywhere you get your podcasts, you can throw myself a follow or a Swan Bitcoin to be notified of when those drop. If you want a job in Bitcoin, go to Bitcoinerjobs.com. Lots of jobs posted there. And then there's a new thing to check out called Bitcoinerevents.com. If you uh, have a meetup, a Bitcoin meetup, or you want to find out about Bitcoin meetups in your area, BitcoinerEvents.com. Both of those things brought to you by Bitcoiner Labs. Uh, finally, my name is Alex Danzig. I'm your host. I work with Swan Bitcoin uh, in Swan Private. Swan Private is designed to help high net worth, ultra high net worth individuals. If you want to buy Bitcoin, you want to learn about it, you're not sure what the heck it is. That's what we're here for. We have a very deep bench of experts. You get unlimited access to our people to kind of hold your hand, walk you through it. What is self-custody? What is multi-sig? How do you do inheritance planning? How do you plan an entry strategy into Bitcoin? All that kind of stuff. We do that. Shoot me DM. Happy to help you. I want to say a quick good morning to Dr. Jeff and Anders. Good morning, guys. Morning, Alex. Good morning. We've also got up on the stage now Didi Mose and Red Canoe. Didi, did you have a question for Max or Stacy or something to add? Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, awesome talk. I'm I'm from Brazil, and I had a question to, regarding what Stacy said about EasyCap being primarily focused in El Salvador and then Central America, and to a wider extent to Latin America and other territories. Uh, just to give a brief testimony of what the situation here in Brazil, like CBDCs are pretty advanced in the implementation with the central bank system called PIX. And there are a few minor experiments uh, trying to replicate what happened in, in, in El Zonte, uh, one in the Northeast and uh, several others, which are really early stage. And the feedback, I visited a couple of those and the feedback that all the merchants and the people who are now uh, on board into Bitcoin, uh, is that, that they cannot yet live on a set standard because they need to pay rent, they need to go to the supermarket, and they only take fiat. And they don't know, don't have, don't have the technical expertise to go through the uh, opening an account and an exchange and sending the sets and then uh, going through the off-ramp and withdrawing that in Brazilian hikes. So my question is, Regarding uh, the investments that you guys have and the association that you have with Galoi and Ibex Mercado and OpenNode, uh, wouldn't it make sense to kind of branch faster through new ter territories by uh, widening the scope of investments into similar business models in different countries? Or do you think it's better to go through first uh, establishing a beachhead like in El Salvador and then expanding from that? Right. Well, we're focused on El Salvador because they uh, first to make Bitcoin legal tender and the notion of hyper Bitcoinization is already alive in towns like El Zante. Uh, philosophically, uh, in terms of the region, 
the wider region and the world, uh, we are pushing forward and looking for ways to enable this great 21st century philosophical difference in governance between centralization and decentralization. So it's clear that in El Salvador, the president who's been orange-pilled and they've made Bitcoin legal tender, they ascribe to decentralization across the board, um, delegation, empowerment, and proliferation of entrepreneurialism is the message. And the government mimics Bitcoin in a large way by seeking greater decentralization and greater empowerment of the people. It's kind of like what America tried to do back in the 1700s and then sadly lost its way. Uh, so anybody in Central America, Latin America, or around the world that is going to take on decentralization as a form of governance versus centralization, this is what we believe is going to be the surviving governance model in the 21st century. The countries, uh, you know, talking about Canada and the truckers, and we're talking about uh, these incidents of overreach by government, that's, that's the opposing view of governance. It's a centralized governance model that I think is going to become extinct uh, with the rise of Bitcoin. Uh, so, so in Brazil, um, yeah, we, we are in contact with folks there and we know entrepreneurs there. We've done many shows in Brazil. We visited Brazil and, and we've got feelers on the ground in Brazil. Uh, but the key here philosophically, it's one of decentralization versus centralization. I mean, all the conspiracies that are going on, both theor theoretical and the actual conspiracies that are happening, certainly Wall Street is an active cartel uh, of uh, racketeering conspiracy that's that that's pretty clear it's an un, they they have uh, uh captured the regulatory authorities and there's no oversight whatsoever uh and they operate as an unregulated cartel that's pretty clear uh but that's all centralized it needs a centralized authority to make it work and uh, with Bitcoin, it's the opposite. And so this is the great philosophical debate. I think in the previous centuries, it was capitalism versus uh, communism. I think we're entering into now centralization versus decentralization. That's the political and philosophical divide that we're all fighting at the moment. And I think the global south is better positioned. I think the global south will emerge the, the winner this century. And the, the, the North is uh, going to go to the way of the dodo. Uh, regarding your question about uh, investments and uh, that might help that situation you're describing, um, you know, we, uh, I'll quote Samson Mo, and he has a Salvador based company, uh, Jan3, and we'll be investors in that. And he said stable coins are kind of an intermediary step to hyper Bitcoinization. And I believe that I, I, I see in that case that you're describing there where these merchants had no way to interact with the fiat world because there were no exchanges or uh, they didn't have the bank accounts to pay their bills. Um, you know, a, a stablecoin situation for them is a solution to put onto these um, wallets like, say, the Bitcoin Beach wallet. And I know Galloy is, is working on some things towards that sort of end. I know the stablecoin uh, story is kind of tainted by the unstable coin called uh, Terra Luna uh, 
tether, not, not tether. What was their UST? They tried to be like tether, but they weren't, they weren't backed by any uh, sort of uh, reserves or fiat. So, you know, their whole scam kind of uh, tainted the space, but I see for those who are unbanked, who can't get access to the bank accounts from which they would then create a, an account on a Bitcoin exchange, uh, you know, a stable coin like Tether would be a good solution into these wallets uh, to help these sort of communities that are currently unbanked have a smooth process between interacting with Bitcoin and the you know, paying their bills, their fiat bills. Well, they could pay it in Tether or, you know, another stable coin that is actually backed by reserves. Hey, hey, all, I just wanted to hop up. I'm, a, I'm on the Galloway team and uh, Alex, I shot you a, um, a DM of a, a feature we're testing that I think St- Stacy was just mentioning, which is you know, having the ability to have a dollar balance in the Bitcoin Beach wallet or other Galloway wallets. Um, that is that does not have is not attached to a stable coin, so it uses derivative contracts. Um, and so I sent uh, out of it's a it's a beta version, so you'll you'll have to wait uh, to try it out. But um, out of the Bitcoin Beach wallet, I sent two bucks to a pizza shop in Guatemala. Um, it's in the nest now, and you can check that out. And so the idea is that uh, within a Lightning wallet, you can you can have Sats balance and you can have a dollar balance that's synthetic usd so it's not connected into the banking system um but you if you've got say a couple hundred bucks and you need you need to you know have a hundred dollars you know to pay your uh, obligations pay your rent pay you know suppliers if you're a merchant you can move money from your sats balance into a dollar balance so that you know that's going to be a hundred dollars, uh, you know, whether the price is going up or going down. And so, um, yeah, you know, really excited about this, uh, you know, people on the ground are really excited about it. And, um, I can also, I'll, I'll kind of, uh, I'll go on mute here for a minute, let you all carry on, but I'll share a, a, a video where Nicholas explains how this all works. So, um, keep your eyes out. There's a lot of innovation, of course, in this space, because we know that this is one of the big problems, right. Is, is moving to a circular economy or a Bitcoin standard, um, but being able to, especially in, de- in a developing country, being able to, you know, handle um, as the the price drops, right? If you're if you're, you know, you got obligations to pay. So this is something that we're uh, we're really excited about. It should be coming out in, in the coming weeks, or at least for a testing version. So feel free to reach out if you're interested in hearing more. Yeah, for sure. In fact, let's get you guys on the show. Let's like drill down. Like let's really. Oh, for look sure. at um, Thanks, is, thanks for jumping in there, though, Andrew. I wasn't sure how much I could say about what was it, what you were developing, but thanks for doing that. Of course. Yeah, I I want to thank you for for coming up and saying all of that. Could you do you mind, Andrew? Would you explain briefly for the audience how does that work? Like, is that riding on lightning? Like, like riding the lightning? What is what is it? How is it's, it's riding lightning. It's it's all sats. It's no stable coins. It's um, it, there's, there's, uh, as I mentioned, derivatives contracts. So you're basically shorting Bitcoin. Um, we have a dealer, uh, for those who don't know, Galloway builds open source Bitcoin banking infrastructure software, right? So this is what the Bitcoin beach wallet is built on. Um, and like I said, it's open source. So if you've heard of Bitcoin jungle, 
they forked our code a, a, a bit ago and um, a few months ago and built the Bitcoin Beach wallet on top of it. And so, you know, all of this, you know, will be will be stuff you can dig into and, and use and, and you know build wallets on top of. Um, but we have a dealer in our GitHub repo uh, and and has been you know undergoing testing for the past six months or so um, to enable uh, the derivatives contracts that um, that that, uh, that allow for um, you know users to transfer money into their quote unquote sort of synthetic USD uh, wallet and create that stability for themselves. <clears throat> and and again, I'll I'll dig up a tweet. I, um, so there's a there was a hackathon called Bolt Fun a few months ago and Nicholas presented on this sort of top to bottom and kind of um, pros and cons and different ways that people are trying to tackle this stability uh, uh, for individuals who are trying to use Bitcoin. Um, and so essentially you're, you're able to, um, I mean, the vision for this, right, is, you know, person A could have um, uh, could have uh, pesos uh, in a, a peso, uh, you know, synthetic peso on their end. And they could scan a lightning invoice. It shoots across in sats and lands, uh, you know, in yen on the other person's side, right? And so um, that's that's what actually you're seeing in the in the demo video I shared. Is I'm sh I'm sending it out of my dollar wallet, um, and the the receiver on the other end could could really, uh, you know, in the future uh, with a little bit further development and, and the lightning wallets, um, be able to accept it in whatever sort of uh, fiat denominated currency that they'd like to. Okay, so this is pretty amazing for for the audience, so people can understand. This is this is we're witnessing in real time. This is the future of how all payments are going to go. Ride the lightning, Andrew. Without, I mean, you don't have to dox your exact location, but what country are you in, if you don't mind, when you bought the slice of pizza? Uh, I, I, I'm I'm up in the states. Okay, so to be clear. <laughs> You're in the United States. You bought a kid a slice of pizza in Guatemala, right? How long did it take? About a second and a half. Are you people tracking this? Like, this is so freaking mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah. Well, El Zante Capital is tracking this, and this is why we in invested in Galway. Like, we, we track these sort of things, and this is exciting and, you know, it's, it's good to have capital to put to work like this because we need people like Galloway to build the, the future we want today. Yeah. And, and thank you for that. I'm, I'm super excited. And, you know, uh, you know, again, I, um, you know, being a, a, a for-profit company that's building, it's really trying to build sort of an open source standard for Bitcoin banking. Um, you know, it's, uh, somebody was a dread from one love the other day, shared a tweet that said like, Galloy is the tip of the spear. And I, I just think like, I feel so privileged to work at Galloy, uh, privileged Stacy and Max, um, to that, that, that you guys to partner. Um, and you know, we're hiring, so please follow, uh, you know, connect with us. You know, we're really trying to, um, you know, I, I share the, the point about the point of the spear because we're really trying to build open source solutions that anybody can use um, to replicate anywhere in the world. And so, you you know, we've all heard of, you know, Bitcoin Akasi, or maybe not all, I shouldn't assume, but um, Bitcoin Akasi in, in South Africa, uh, Bitcoin Lake in Guatemala is actually using the Bitcoin Beach wallet, right? They're taking more of an educational versus a technical approach. Um, and then Bitcoin uh, Beach Brazil, which is uh, called Praia Bitcoin, um, 
there's a gentleman there, Fernando, who's a developer uh, who's working with OpenOMS. Um, so some of you may know OpenOMS, who's a, a, a really um, involved contributor to one of the main contributors to Raspi Blitz. Um, and they're working together to develop like a Galloy light that could be run off a laptop. Um, and so imagine, you know, it, people being able to launch a Bitcoin bank on a laptop and get their, you know, small community started. Um, you know, I just think that this is going to uh, this, this is really going to drive the future is, is enabling people um, to get onto Bitcoin in a really simple way. Um, and uh, also just for everybody that knows that maybe newer to or sort of Bitcoin Beach wallet, um, it is a custodial wallet. It uses multi-sig custody, um, and, which which allows sort of you to bring sort of custody into your community. Right. So it's, you know, local local community is custodying. And what that enables is people to get on Bitcoin in seconds. So you download the wallet. There's a little education section there that show, tells you, you know, what is Bitcoin? What is this thing? And you can earn some sats and start transacting immediately. Um, and we wrote a, a, a sort of a 5,000 word um, uh, guide uh, called uh, Bitcoin Banking for Communities, uh, Lessons Learned in Alzante. And it's, it's sort of like, again, it's our way of kind of trying to play back and share out across the world everything that we've learned down there. And one of the things, Mike Peterson actually wrote the forward to that, um, which... Uh, it brought tears to my eyes when I read it. It was really amazing, um, you know, having him take that look, look back at where they've been in the past two years. Um, but but one of the key takeaways why I wanted to bring it up is this idea that um, he says, and he said this on Tales from the Crypt two years ago, um, like you have to remove the friction and the hurdles to get people into Bitcoin, right? Like we all believe not your keys, not your coin um, is, is the destination. Um, but for people that are trying to buy a slice of bread or a, a loaf of bread or a, or a pupusa, trying to earn, earn some money and, and have the ability to transact digitally, um, you know, the, a solution like the Bitcoin Beach wallet is, you know, really, um, really helped, uh, I think the, the community in El Zante get into that place. And, and, um, so we're really excited to bring that to other communities around the world. Fantastic. Uh, Thanks so much for popping up, Andrew. Go ahead, Stacey. Yeah, you bring up Mike Peterson, and I do want to mention that we do have a board of advisors on El Zante Capital, which includes Mike Peterson, also Chimbetta, uh, Roman Martinez, who are the two, two of the three, um, you know, Bitcoin Beach founding members. We also have uh, Jameson Lopp, who everybody knows, as well as Rodolfo Novak, uh, both OG sort of cypherpunk Bitcoiners who are big on, uh, you know, security and securing your Bitcoin and not not your keys, not your coin. And also Des Dickerson, who was at Lightning Labs and now has her own gaming company, uh, you know, basically spreading Bitcoin through through gaming. So we have a pretty cool board of advisors. I lost you. Did anybody else, else lose Stacey or is that just me? No, it sounded like she fell off there at the end. All right. Um, well, Andrew, appreciate you coming up and sharing. This is all super, super exciting. Follow Galoy. They're obviously going to make uh, a huge impact in this space and I think on the world. Um, we've got our next featured guest, Econa Alchemist, up here. Um, so what I'd like to do is um, give Max and Stacy a moment to make some closing comments, and then we'll uh, we'll start rolling in the second hour here. Stacy, I don't know what's going on with your mic. So, Max, can, can you hear to... me? Yep, can hear no, you now. Go ahead. Okay. Well, um, 
I just wanted to say before, I don't know if you heard it, but uh, we have a board of advisors, which includes Mike Peterson and Chimbetta from um, Bitcoin Beach. We also have Jameson Lopp and Rodolfo Novak helping us. And everybody knows them as those OG cypherpunk sort of Bitcoiners. And Des Dickerson from Lightning Labs. Uh, well, she was at Lightning Labs. Now she's uh, got her own Thunder Games and bringing Bitcoin to the masses through gaming. So uh, we're excited also to announce that. And yeah, final comments is, you know, of course, everybody come down to El Salvador and come experience El Zante so you can see what hyper-Bitcoinization is like. And I think it will blow your mind and change your mind, even if you've been in Bitcoin for a long time, because it blew my mind. And, you know, we've been in Bitcoin since, you know, 2011. So it still blew my mind. And I hope it could do the same for you. <laughs> Yeah, well said. And um, in El Salvador, the, 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 it's an infectious, happy environment. People are happy there, and they look forward to the future. It's a, a, quite a contrast to what we find these days in, in other countries where there's, there's a growing alarm about the, the state of things. But in El Salvador, they've turned the corner already. They're already living in the future, and if you can feel it from the people. The people are happy. So anyway, thanks for having us on. This was great. And uh, talk again soon thanks for stopping by guys it's been really cool um again max is going to be on swan signal live on wednesday with greg foss so make sure you check that out um <clears throat> good morning to econo alchemists how are you doing brother good morning i'm good how are you doing thanks for having me on you bet, man. Really appreciate you coming and, and hanging out with us. I think the first time I came across you on Twitter, you were on the roof um, installing a, I think, Blockstream um, freaking dish to sync up uh, w with uh, your, your, your Bitcoin node through the Blockstream satellite. And I thought to myself, good God, there's no fucking way anybody's going to stop this thing. Yeah, that was a picture my wife took of my son and I on our roof trying to get our satellite connected uh, to run a Bitcoin node that doesn't rely on an internet connection. So, yeah, that, that tweet went a little viral on me. It's pretty cool. That was the first time it switched on with me that, like, there are now um, Bitcoin nodes essentially in orbit. Right. That whole thing about they can't shut this thing down. That was a huge turning point for me when it comes to Bitcoin. Like uh, my, my one of my biggest hurdles to overcome was back in the day. I thought, man, the government's just going to kill this thing. There's no way they're going to allow it to survive. And then in, uh, I guess it was 2019. I saw it consolidating on the charts. I started buying some because I was thinking, man, this thing is going to run again. Why is it still here? Which. um led me to the whole well they can't stop it thing but uh you know tell us a little bit about your background and your 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 bitcoin story brother yeah you know i i focus mostly on censorship resistance and self-custody so i produce content in the form of step-by-step -step guides that helps people understand how to use some of these tools in a way that they can become a sovereign individual and they're able to kind of notch out 
some guardrails and put up some defenses for the things that they deem valuable in their pursuit of happiness. So, you know, whatever that might be, you're going to need money to do it and you can use Bitcoin as a tool. You can leverage that tool to help secure the future that you want to create for yourself. Um, and so that's, that's kind of like my whole like focus with the Bitcoin space. You know, I, I, I coming from this perspective of Bitcoin is just software and that software can be used as a tool and the kinds of things you can do with that tool can just really enable a permissionless life that you don't have to seek permission from anyone to do the things that you want to do. And I, and I think empowering the individual with tools like that um, is, is really helpful. And, you know, I'm just trying to help people get from zero to, you know, understanding how these tools work and being able to take off running with it and do whatever they want to do with that empowerment. So, you know, when people are new to Bitcoin, they come into rooms like this and they hear statements like that. And if they, they don't understand what Bitcoin is, they might be like, okay, how does that work? Right? Because you, you hear that saying, Bitcoiners often say Bitcoin fixes this without necessarily going deeper to explain why. For people who are new to Bitcoin. Um, and they may not understand everything you just said about that. Give us some concrete examples of, of how Bitcoin achieves these things you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like it's, I think, I think uh, money problems are a universal issue. So everybody's got money problems, right? When I first got into Bitcoin, I was approaching it more of like an investment. Like I kind of thought of it like a stock and I was like, oh, I can take a little bit of money, invest in this thing and I'll turn it into more money. Uh, but the more I started learning about Bitcoin and understanding what made it different than fiat and what the real problems were with fiat, the more I realized the kinds of problems that it can solve. And so like, you know, if you've ever had your wages garnished, for example, that's the government coming in and taking a percentage of your paycheck directly out before it even hits your bank account. Uh, and that's after taxes, too. So that's a direct form of confiscation. Uh, I've, I've had my, my wages garnished before, and that's like a very uh, – vulnerable position to be in, especially when you're trying to put food on the table for your children and keep a roof over your head paying your mortgage. Uh, if you've ever tried to get a bank account and you've approached the bank, but the bank applies some sort of moral standard on you and they don't like the business that you're involved with, then they're going to deny you access to these basic financial services and if you don't have access to these basic financial services, it becomes extremely difficult to interact with the world around you in an economic way. Uh, I made the egregious mistake of putting the word blockchain in, in articles of incorporation for a Bitcoin ATM business I was trying to start. And I was rejected by 17 banks across four states. No one would touch us with a 10-foot pole. 
Holy crap. Um, really? That is so yeah, crazy. absolutely. And, and so like, you know, and it, it's not just like cryptocurrency related businesses, you know, like anything that like even comes near the term sex work is immediately red flagged by banks. If you have anything to do with like financial services in your business, like you are put in like a completely separate bucket of scrutiny that you have to go through with the bank. So they, you know, they have these, these ways of granting permission to financial services. And if you can't get access to these financial services, you're really hosed as an individual. Um, So, you know, like if you can, if, if you understand that with Bitcoin, there's nothing that can stop your transaction so long as it doesn't break consensus rules. Your transaction is going to be accepted by the network. So you can transmit value globally instantly. And there's nothing that can stop you. Like no bank's moral standards are going to be able to stop that transaction. You don't have to ask anyone for permission. And if you're taking self-custody of your Bitcoin, like no government, no coalition of governments, no entities, no corporations, nobody can go in and just confiscate your Bitcoin and take it from you like they can in the legacy system. And so, and and the other thing too, is like they can't do uh, confiscation through inflation by changing the supply of Bitcoin because it's hard capped. All right. There's something that I want the audience to understand because what you're talking about is super, super freaking important. A little while ago with Max and Stacy, we were talking about how you could just be deplatformed. You could have your means of accepting payments removed, basically your ability to feed your family, run your business, all that other kind of stuff. This is the danger of the the regulatory bullshit that we've seen over the last couple of decades where governments that's a ratchet effect. They'll create these regulations. They'll they'll say in the beginning, oh, these are only temporary. These are to, this is to protect you from terrorism. Terrorism financing in particular. You know, after 9-11, the Patriot Act started passing um, these AML KYC regulations, right? Not long after that, you had FATCA. FATCA was the Foreign Accounting Tax Compliance Act. What it basically did was it made it so that um, If foreign, non-U.S. financial institutions didn't comply with the AML KYC shit, they'd basically get locked out of the the dollar system. So those are the first instance of the United States weaponizing the United States dollar internationally and taking sort of extra sovereign control over foreign financial institutions. Because if you want to send money through the U.S our system through the swift system for example and let's say you live in a, a a country other than the united states and are sending it to another country outside the united states but you want to settle in u.s dollars that goes through new york and they, you have to have the approval of the united states of america basically so the threat was we have this stick you either play the game with us or we're going to hit you with a stick you can't transfer money around the world what ended up happening with that is then you had this thing called Operation Choke Point, which is kind of what Mr. Alchemist is talking about. What is that? Well, they basically went to all the banks and financial institutions in the world and said, if any um, business is, is dealing in sex work or drugs or guns or gold or 
um, really anything they just don't like, you need to close their accounts. You can't do business with them. It wasn't illegal. Understand, these were, they were going outside the law and outside the jurisdiction of the United States, basically saying to the world, you do this or we're going to hit you with a stick. And, and this is the creeping thing that we've seen that has led us to today. Like, and if you don't play nice, if you don't do what they want, they hit you with the stick. It's jacked up, man. I'm sorry. I kind of went on a little rant there. Please continue. Yeah, no, that that's great context to, you know, and kind of sets the stage for what's going on here. Um, if anyone's interested, you mentioned the Freedom Convoy. I wrote an article with Bitcoin Magazine called How the Freedom Convoy Could Have Protected Donation Privacy with Whirlpool. And in there, I kind of do like a postmortem on how the Freedom Convoy and Bitcoin intersected and some tools that are available, Whirlpool being the, the highlight there, uh, that could have changed the outcome for many people that were involved with that. So uh, check that article out. But, you know, more to your point. Yeah, dude, it's like these you get these regulatory moats put in place and you get these businesses operating in such a way that they favor their relationship with law enforcement or regulators or government or all of the above. And they make decisions that are not in the customer's best interest. And, you know, you've got like the CEO of Kraken, Jesse Powell, telling you flat out like there's nothing they can do to protect you so when the long arm of the law comes knocking you know they're going to do whatever it takes to maintain that relationship with law enforcement they're not going to put your best interests first as the customer so you you really wind up with the short end of the stick there or the the short straw in that situation and you know the all the governments are trending toward tyranny if you've had if you haven't had your head buried in the sand in the last two years, it's, it's clear to see that the kinds of restrictions being put in place on movement, on economic activity, on bodily autonomy is a very slippery slope, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. And if you don't start equipping yourself with some of the tools that are available today to start putting up defenses and guarding the things that you deem valuable, like having your family over for Thanksgiving or deciding what gets injected into your own body, like you need to be able to put up some defenses to be able to live the kind of life you're going to want to live and not rely on, as you put it, the people with the stick. Yeah. Okay. So this is a deep subject. I'm going to make a quick comment about this. Then we're going to hit some, announcements and then we'll continue bj i see your hand i want to dig into a little bit further about econo alchemist's website his latest article etc but the thing that i wanted to quickly touch on is, is that people need to wake up there's a non-stop series of crises that the government uses to scare the shit out of you they amplify the fear and then they use that as an excuse to take away your freedoms and it's a parade. It's a nonstop parade of fucking crisis. It's the climate crisis. Oh, it's it's the war on drugs crisis. Oh, it's the war on terror crisis. Oh, it's the pandemic crisis. It's the fucking whatever. Monkey pox fucking cr Jesus, are you serious right now? And it's a never ending thing. And 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 they 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 use these words like, you know, 
anti-terrorist financing and anti-money laundering. It's like, you know, Bernanke just came out recently and he was talking shit. It's, it's the we're over the target, sir, marker. I like it. I like it when they do this because it means we're, we're on the right fucking track. But this dude's like, oh, Bitcoin is just used for illicit activity. The majority of what Bitcoin's used for is illicit activity. It's bullshit, guys. Bullshit. We have the metrics. 0.15% of Bitcoin transactions are illicit activity. 0.15%. Whereas in the US dollar, it's well over 2% every fucking year. Hello? 800 billion to $2 trillion worth of US value is transacted in illicit finance. And the banks are in on it. And and this is the thing. Like we were talking about this this last weekend at Bitcoin Day. I was talking to all the all the speakers. We had this dinner, and I was like, "Hey, we need to get off the defense. We need to get off the back foot." They keep saying things like, "Oh, it's for anti money laundering to put you on the back foot to defend." I say, "Attack, attack these motherfuckers! Don't defend anymore." The whole thing about um, the anti money laundering thing, attack the energy fund thing, attack. You know, instead of being like, "Oh." It's bad for the environment. How about ExxonMobil is now uh, rolling this thing out where they're mining Bitcoin with their flared gas, rolling it out across four four countries because they believe it's going to reduce their emissions by 63% attack. Okay, let's do announcements. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. You've not been here before. We talk about Bitcoin. Um, this is the place for your morning news, a preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in Bitcoin. It's a podcast up on Spotify, Apple, everywhere that you get your podcasts. You can throw myself a follow or Swan Bitcoin to be notified of when those drop. The Pacific Bitcoin Conference is coming up in November. Check out packbitcoin.com. That's packbitcoin.com, P-A-C-Bitcoin.com for more details. That's going to be absolutely fantastic. My name is Alex Danzig. I'm your host. I work at Swan Bitcoin. If you have a business and you want to put Bitcoin on your business balance sheet, you can shoot me a DM or just contact Swan. We'd love to help you with that. That's a thing. I talk to business owners all the time. We're like, yeah, we have cash flow. We have this much cash. We have this much extra cash. And it sucks because inflation is killing us. Want to put it in Bitcoin. We can do that. We can help you. Um, Let's go quickly with a question from BJ or a comment from BJ and then um, the Kano Alchemist, I'd like to dig into your website and your most recent article. Go ahead, BJ. Yeah, just a quick comment. Um, I remember when I was first down here in Latin America, maybe yeah, 20 years ago, and I was flying back to Canada. I was reading uh, one of the books about Escobar and everything that, that happened here on the way back. And one of the things that was covered in there, and I confirmed with a friend of mine who's uh, an attorney in Miami, is uh, the, the, one of the main tools that uh, the U.S. government decided they could use against the drug cartels, which were a real problem here, by the way, but uh, was to go after the money. So they said, what we'll do is we're going to introduce these AML laws and we'll have to track any transaction that is over $10,000. And at that time, $10,000 would have bought you what? A Mercedes? Like that was a lot of money back then. They didn't factor inflation. So for all the people who give that, well, it's just a slippery slope argument. Well, within Canada, within in the United States and many countries within your own borders, you can no longer transact 
more than $10,000, unless you're kind of VIP banking, uh, without having the government down your throat and the banks red flagging you and calling you in for interviews, like it's gotten ridiculous. And this started with, well, we're just targeting drug cartels, right? Yeah, it's insane. Like here in the United States, Pelosi is like, if you spend $600, I want to know what you did with that money. It's like, who the fuck are you that you think you have a right to know what people are doing with their money? And it's funny how it doesn't work both ways. What about you, Nancy Pelosi? Maybe we should get Nancy Pelosi on a CBDC so we all could have at one of CBDC, but something on a transparent uh, ledger so we can see every single one of her transactions as well. You know, you know what? To her credit, she might be one of the best hedge fund managers that's ever lived. <laughs> okay. Uh, Econo Alchemist. You have a website, EconoAlchemist.com. One of your recent articles is home mining for non-KYC Bitcoin. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Um, you know, mining always was presented to me in this way and with these narratives that made it sound like you would be better off just spending your bit, your money at an exchange to get Bitcoin. Your residential electricity is too expensive. You cannot compete with large-scale miners. Um, the problem I was trying to solve, though, was that I, at that time, had decided that I was no longer going to use KYC services. Um, I had decided to burn that bridge and never go back. And... I needed a way to like continue to accumulate Bitcoin, but without involving KYC information. Uh, so my options, you know, were Bitcoin ATMs, but then you're paying a ridiculously high premium. Uh, I could do trades on BISC, but, you know, liquidity can be an issue and, and you're still exposing a little bit of information to an unknown party. At least it's not like official KYC level information exposure. Um, you know, so there are some other ways to do it, but then I came across this article called mining for the streets by diverter. His Twitter handle is diverter underscore no KYC. And in this article, he eloquently destroyed those narratives that spelled out disaster for trying to mine Bitcoin at home. And he explained exactly how it does make sense on residential electricity. And he explained how it's not about trying to compete with large scale miners. And he explained how it's about trying to dollar cost average through your electricity bill to accumulate non-KYC Bitcoin, which was exactly what I was looking for. And so I contacted him, got a few pointers from him and he got me set off in the right direction. And I just kind of documented all the steps I took to go from like not knowing anything about Bitcoin mining to having my own miner installed in my home and having a steady stream of non-KYC stat sats streaming in. And uh, and so, yeah, that's the guide that's that's up on my website. And it, you know, over the last like year and a half, it's. It's gotten a lot of attention and I think it's opened up a lot of people's eyes and this whole like home mining scene has really had a renaissance and it, it's I kind of describe it like an avalanche that just can't be stopped at this point. There's so much content and so many people involved doing so many creative and awesome things bringing mining into their homes and into their living situations 
um, you know, it's just really kind of become this whole movement. That's, that's really great to see. I love your analogy, the avalanche analogy, because uh, I, I use that one myself to describe what happens when a phase transition occurs and then it's just freaking on. And so that's pretty exciting. Like, what are you seeing when you say it's an avalanche? What, why do you say that? Well, just like from a sheer volume standpoint, like this is all I do all day, every day. And I can't even keep up with all the content that people are putting out there. So you've got people that, you know, read diverters guide and made their own guide like I did. And then you've got people that read my guide and then they started putting out their own guides. And so you, you've got like this, this, um, like cross pollination of knowledge now happening throughout the space where the resources are there for anyone who's interested to start learning about it. And it, it just kind of had this like exponential effect where suddenly everyone started realizing, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people who are interested in mining started realizing that the narratives didn't add up anymore. Something had changed in the last few years and those narratives just didn't make sense. And so when they started looking into it and reaching out there for resources, they found the resources they needed to get the information that gave them the confidence to try it themselves. And then they were successful with it and they turn around and start producing other content. So like, you know, we've got people who are using ASICs in greenhouses to heat up the greenhouses. We've got people that are using ASICs in a way to duct the heat byproduct into their HVAC system in their home and like doing these cost reduction analysis to show how they're reducing their dependence on natural gas. They're reducing their natural gas usage by just running the ASIC. So uh, there's all these clever ways that people have been incorporating these into their HVAC systems. And then you've got people that are like now starting to integrate these like uh, like this program called Home Assistant, where you can basically monitor your ASICs activity and like every stat that's going on with your ASIC. And you can tie it in to other parameters that you can monitor in your home. Like you can use that heat to heat up your um, the hot water boiler. And so people are coming up with ways to like to watch and monitor and and heat up the hot water in their home with an ASIC. Um, <laughs> so cool. Like, it's so freaking mind-blowing. What's the name of that software again? Uh, I think it's called Home Assistant. And the guy that's doing it, he's called Schnitzel on Twitter. His handle is Schnitzel. Um, he's, he's doing some really cool work. And then And then you've got, like, the whole immersion side of things where people are like, putting the ASICs in this dielectric oil that doesn't conduct electricity. And once you do that, like now you've got the heat captured in a way that's a lot easier where a lot, it opens up a lot more possibilities in how you can control that heat and what you can do with it. And so you've got guys like coin heated who lives in Minnesota or Wisconsin, uh, somewhere up there in the Northern United States. And he, dude, he was heating like a 17,000 gallon swimming pool in his backyard uh, through an immersion loop with these Bitcoin miners. And he was keeping this pool near a hundred degrees, like in a Minnesota winter. 
<laughs> that is so amazing. Like you could, you could do like, you could, you could put it through your floor to heat your floors. You could do your driveways. You could do like cities could do sidewalks, like, you know, on and on. I mean, it's so amazing. Yeah, dude, the possibilities are endless. And that's what I'm, What that's kind of what I'm trying to highlight is that like all these people are coming up with these different ways. I mean, you got mags from uh, coin kite. She was using uh, ASIC to dry out mushrooms that she had grown. You've got people like drying out beef jerky with the heat from the ASICs. Um, man, you've just, you've got all these people doing these cool things. And then you've got like upstream data coming in and providing solutions like the black box. And then, you know, putting the plans out there, so that anyone can just build their own black box variation. And so now you've got all these people like putting different designs out there with like the CAD files and people like 3D printing components and everyone's just sharing this information. And it's like, like you've got enough resources at your fingertips now that if you have an idea that involves an ASIC, you can go looking and find the resources you need to give you the fuel to keep pushing that idea forward. and and do whatever you, you want to do. I mean, we've got people that are like starting to incorporate these ASICs into like agricultural settings where they're like capturing the methane gas waste from hogs or from cows and using that to run a generator and then using that generator to power their ASICs. It's just like, if you can think of it, you'll find it. You know, what's so cool to me about that is, is that I can remember a time when you know, when people would talk about the things that were going to happen with Bitcoin, it was all theoretical. Like, you know, it'd be like someday this is going to happen and someday this is going to happen. And you know what's so cool is, is that like across the spectrum, it's all happening. This isn't theoretical anymore. This isn't a bunch of people sitting around with propellers on their head going, hey, this is going to be great someday. It's like, no, no, no. We're doing this now. That's <laughs> freaking so cool. BJ, did you have a question or something you want to add? Yeah, I just want to ask uh, kind of Alchemist. Um, you're talking about uh, mining, and I'm kind of I'm trying to go down that rabbit hole as well. Uh, question: Every I hear often people are talking about you know their homes and heating it and all that sort of stuff. What sort of solutions, if there are any, do you think would work in an apartment or condominium environment where? You can't really put an ASICs in there because the heat and all that sort of stuff. Uh, what would you recommend for somebody who wanted to get into mining uh, in that sort of capacity? Any suggestions? Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, we have seen people share information about mining in an apartment. And actually, the the guy who wrote the first guide on it, Mining for the Streets, Diverter, he was mining in an apartment to start with. And, you know, his method was was pretty simple. He built an enclosure out of a Coleman cooler that he cut some holes in and he, he put the ASIC inside the cooler and then he had the holes in it so the air could pass through. And he just kind of ran like a window AC unit into the room and it, it cooled down the air enough that the fans of the ASIC were quiet. And and then he vented that hot air back out uh through like another window or through a vent. And so, yeah, it's definitely possible. And then you've got bikes in Bitcoin. Uh, he also did like a uh, black box style build. So he built like a more elaborate enclosure and he was doing that in an apartment. 
And so, you know, really you got to think like these, these machines, they're, they're industrial pieces of equipment. They're industrial machines. They're, they're not your normal computer, these ASICs. And so they're meant to be in warehouses where noise and heat aren't really big issues. But when you bring an industrial piece of equipment like that into your home, into your living space, it's going to disrupt you. It's going to disrupt your family. It's going to disrupt your roommates. So you want to be able to handle that noise and heat in such a way that you can continue life somewhat normal. And so the best way to deal with the noise is to build some sort of enclosure that attenuates that sound. And so, you know, I took Diverter's idea of the Coleman cooler. And when I wrote my guide, I had used some like plywood and MDF and I built my version of an enclosure. And, you know, since then the black box has come out that has an even more elaborate design and that works really well to attenuate the sound to levels that are completely tolerable inside a living space. But then you've got to like do something with the heat. You've got to vent it out. So oftentimes you'll see people using windows or, you know, cutting a hole in their wall or just doing something that they can let fresh air in and get hot air out. But it's totally possible to do in an apartment. All right. So um, we got about 10 minutes left in the show. Let's open it up. If you're up on the, on the platform on the stage today, you have questions you want to ask the kind of alchemist, let's let it rip. If you're in the audience and you want to come up, shoot a request, we'll bring you up. Uh, if you want to ask in text, t.ne slash Jacob. Cafe Bitcoin Club. Yes. Awesome. Cafe Bitcoin Club. t.me slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. That's our uh, telegram yes, yes. group. Forward slash, forward slash. How can people not know it's a, not a forward slash? I don't know. I, I don't know. I think I would do a backslash. but You'd uh, be surprised. Okay. <laughs> Questions for Econo Alchemist? All right, I got one for you. Um, talk to us about no KYC Bitcoin. I know there's a lot of people interested in that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'll, I'll try and keep it quick given the time limitation, but, you know, that's one of the motivating factors behind why I started mining was to acquire non-KYC Bitcoin. So when you enter into a third-party relationship and you're providing your KYC information, you're exposing yourself to many, many, many risks. Some of the risks that you expose yourself to are that the exchange could get hacked. And we've seen data breaches, like one of the most elaborate ones recently was like 30 cryptocurrency related companies were hit all at once through a HubSpot data breach. And so what happens in a situation like that is all of your personal information can get leaked and that information can get sold on the dark net and violent criminals can come kicking in your door because they know what you look like. They know where you live. They know what your email address is. They know your social security number. They know your phone number. They know your Bitcoin balance 
you know, that's a lot of personal information for someone to, for strangers to be handling. And so we've seen these massive data dumps, uh, like ledger data breach is another example, where it can actually put someone's life at risk if your information is exposed in that way. These companies that are collecting this information are not equipped, they're not prepared to handle that information responsibly, nor do they really have any consequences when things go wrong. And as the demand for Bitcoin increases, then the value of information related to individuals who hold Bitcoin is also going to increase. And so this, the, 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 the measures that criminals and hackers are going to take to get their hands on this information are going to get more and more elaborate. So just by providing that information, you're exposing yourself to this risk of a data breach. Another major risk is like if your government wanted to do something like confiscate your wealth, like they've set precedents for in Argentina with their wealth tax, or if they wanted to do like a 6102 style confiscation, like they have precedents for in the United States, they could just tell the exchange to turn off the withdrawal button. And because that exchange has that relationship with regulators, government officials, and law enforcement, they're going to make decisions that are in their best interest, not decisions that are in your best interest. And so when you're not taking self-custody, like you're really putting yourself in this situation where uh, you don't have any control and whoever that trusted third party is, they don't have any accountability to you if anything goes wrong. And usually when you enter into these kinds of relationships, you have to provide that KYC information. So if you have your keys on an exchange or you have your Bitcoin on an exchange, like you're really putting yourself in the worst kind of position because you've exposed all that data that either the government is going to use to take away your freedoms or a hacker is going to use to put your life at risk. And you don't have control over the Bitcoin itself. So the government can come in and just confiscate that if they wanted to, or the company can go bankrupt and you don't have any like FDIC or SIPC insurance to help cover you. Like there's nothing you can do in a situation like that. Luckily there's, you know, really good tools like mining Bitcoin without KYC or you know, using BISC or using Bitcoin ATMs or using RoboSats. There's ways to get non-KYC Bitcoin. There's ways to get Bitcoin where you don't have to expose any of that information. And like the worst part about it is even if you take that Bitcoin off the exchange, you know, that KYC event, it exists off chain. So there's really nothing you can do to erase that KYC event once it happens. Once you put that information out there, like it's out there. And then chain analysis companies are gonna follow all of your transactions on chain. And you know that's always gonna get tied back to the information that exists off chain. So it doesn't matter if you do an atomic swap to some other coin, it doesn't matter if you run the coins through Whirlpool, like there's nothing you can do to erase that KYC event. Someone is always gonna know you bought X amount of Bitcoin on Y date. And so, you know, you just really want to think about all of those risks and, and ask yourself, is that, is that how you want to interact with Bitcoin? Is that 
is that, you know, what, what kind of freedom are you really gaining if something were to happen? What kind of position are you going to be in if someone knocks on your door and wants to talk to you about some Bitcoin you bought a couple of years ago? Uh, you know, you, you got to think about the consequences of putting that information out there and having it linked to on-chain activity. Jacob, did you have a uh, question or a comment? Yeah, what's going on? We actually had a question from uh, a guy in the Telegram, but I think you just hit on it a little bit. He was asking, uh, Doors was asking, uh, the pros and cons of coin joining. And uh, so. Yeah, you know, I can I can definitely drill into that a little bit more. So the, the pros of coin joining with like a proper zero link implementation like Whirlpool provides, you can use it through Samurai Wallet or you can use it through Sparrow Wallet that's going to break deterministic links. So that means anyone who was following your on-chain activity will not be able to deterministically connect your uh, the outputs you receive from that coin join. So they can see that you went into a coin join, but they can't say for certain which Bitcoin belongs to you when it comes out of that coin join. Also, if anyone receives Bitcoin from you and they try to look back through your coin history, They'll get back to the point where they see the coin join transaction, but they won't be able to see where your Bitcoin came from before that. So Whirlpool is a very powerful tool, and I do recommend people like dig into it and learn about it. All I'm trying to say with the KYC thing, though, is that like even if you Whirlpool your coins and chain analysis cannot deterministically prove that you hold those coins anymore – that doesn't erase that KYC event that exists off chain in the exchange's hands, right? So, you know, you might be able to say, well, I don't, I don't have those Bitcoin anymore and they may not be able to prove it. And this is where people will just kind of throw out like, oh, I'll just claim boating accident and say that I lost my keys. Well, you know, that doesn't really work in a situation where they can't, prove that you have it but you also in that situation can't technically prove that you don't have it either so does uh does it really come down to proof being the issue i i don't think it does in that kind of extreme edge case so you know don't don't think that you can just whirlpool your funds and then say oh i had a boating accident and expect the who's ever like inquiring about your bitcoin holdings to be satisfied with that and just turn away turn around and walk away from you. Uh, good morning and welcome up Texas Slim. We've got a couple minutes left. So with, let's go with a question or comment from Texas Slim and then we'll let uh, Econo Alchemist make some closing comments and we'll wrap the show. This has been really cool. Hey Alex, good to see you. Hey Econo. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because with the with the beef initiative, we've been kind of standing on the sidelines with mining because we're trying to get our education series coming up. Whenever we have our conference in Colorado, the first person I went to was Econo to be a speaker because there is such an uh, uh, opportunity right now in the agricultural space in the rural of America, North America, anywhere you are really. To kind of bring this this intelligence into the uh, the conversation of Bitcoin education, and I've been putting together this education series in in Colorado. Econo is going to be kind of um, kind of steering 
and kind of really leaping forward with the with the type of dialogue that he's giving today and all the feedback that I'm getting from the ranchers. One thing that they're asking me is like, how do we get into mining? So uh, this is going to be a, a fun ride, Econo, and kind of tell us what you're going to be talking about at the conference in Colorado. Yeah, dude, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to this Beef Initiative Conference. Um, you know, I don't have any like firsthand experience with like ranching or farming, but, you know, my wife and I sold our home outside of Denver seven months ago and we've moved out to the country. We've got a little bit of land. And so we're slowly trying to build up those skills and, you know, bring some of that food sovereignty into our lives. And so we're trying to grow our own food. We're raising our own chickens, you know, and we're slowly building that up. I think goats is going to be next for us. And then as soon as we get a freezer, we're going to start buying like half a cattle at a time and just stocking up on meat and trying to get as much like locally produced food as possible. Uh, we're already getting like fresh raw milk from a dairy rancher right down the road from us. Um, so anyways, like being able to like bring that food sovereignty and that financial sovereignty together is just an exciting intersection. And so I'm looking forward to what's going to happen at that conference. But, you know, when it when it comes to talking about Bitcoin with with ranchers, like, you know, I don't I don't exactly know what kinds of problems ranchers face or, or how mining is going to be a solution for them. But what I can do is talk about how mining has been a solution for me and how it's played a role in getting my family to secure some of our own sovereignty as, as a family unit and being able to secure some of that money that isn't getting confiscated through inflation, getting some of that money that can't be confiscated through uh, government who wants to garnish our wages and being able to interact with the world around us in an economical fashion without having to ask anyone for permission. So, you know, I just think like, just like you can throw some seeds in the ground and grow food, you don't have to ask anyone for permission to do that. Just like you can raise a cattle and butcher it and provide yourself with meat. You don't have to ask anyone permission to do that. Now you, you've got this financial tool that you don't have to ask anyone permission and no one's moral standard is going to be able to stop you. No one's going to be able to censor you. So if you can just like you can grow some food by planting some seeds, like you can plug a computer into a wall and start getting some of this fuck you money and you can do whatever you want with it. And I just think that that's going to be a great convergence of ideas um, so I'm excited to just kind of like present this information to the ranchers and tell them how it's helped me and the problems it's solved for me and give them some ideas about the electrical infrastructure demands, the heating demands, like the how to hook it up to a pool, which is pretty simple, and just kind of give them a quick example of what it takes to plug one of these in and run it and then see where they take it from there. because if they do anything with it, like other people have over the last year and a half, it's just going to blow everybody's socks off. Some of the ideas they come up with. Yeah. The, the innovation, and that's kind of how I approach, you know, the education of Bitcoin overall universally with the ranchers. 
because they're you're there's such a decentralized mindset already and once we really get to base layer of education is the mining and the opportunities from blow off to you know solar that they're already using that they can plug in the s9s in their pay barn there's so many things that we haven't seen as bitcoiners especially people that don't understand ranches rural land you know uh out in the in middle of america per se the innovation, I believe, is going to really step up, and that's kind of the approach with you know having you at that conference. So, I look forward to uh, to our conversations this week. We're going to have many. Thanks, Aaron. So this is pretty much going to be a wrap. Then that's the end of the show. We're pretty much out of time. I wanted to uh, thank Econo Alchemist featured guest for hour two. Learned a lot of stuff from you today, man. I think a lot of other people in the room have as well. Really appreciate you coming and hanging out. All of it, man. The freedom. Thank, thanks for having. You know, I'm always happy to talk shop with everybody. I'm easy to get a hold of. Check out my blog, EconoAlchemist.com. Shout out to Upstream Data and Bitcoin Magazine. So you know, check out my content and start using the tools. Hell yeah. Use the tools. Buy some Bitcoin in case it catches on. Get on the freedom train. Get on the mission. That's what this is all about. Chris, do you have any uh, announcements or anything you want to cover before we wrap here? Yeah. Economic Alchemist. Great, uh, great content as always. This is Chris on the BM account. So always great talking to you. Uh, I guess two things in the BM space that's going on right now. We're hosting all the Bitcoin content from the Oslo Freedom Forum that's uh, run by the Human Rights Foundation. Obviously, Alex Gladstein has a big part in that. Uh, so there was about an hour of live streaming this morning that was done. Uh, you can catch that on our YouTube. It was it ended for today. Oslo is a little bit further ahead in the time zones than uh, the United States, so they're wrapping up for the day. Uh, we will have great content on Tuesday and Wednesday as well, and there will be a lot more of it. Uh, we're doing a little bit something different for our live stream today. It looks like we're just going to do a Twitter Spaces with James Lavish and a couple other people uh, from 3 p.m. Eastern to probably 5 p.m. Eastern. So there's not going to be a YouTube live stream today. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much it from our end. Right on. Okay, that's the wrap then. You have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We do this every day, Monday through Friday. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. We roll for about two hours. We talk about all things Bitcoin. It is the place to get your morning news on Bitcoin, a preferred hangout. For some of the smartest minds in Bitcoin to chill, talk about what's going on. This is also a podcast. It's up on Spotify, Apple, everywhere you get your podcasts. You can throw myself or Swan Bitcoin a follow to be notified of when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin and Bitcoin Magazines, the Sponsors of the show, the show, <laughs> my crew, Aunt Shane, Sats for Life, producer Jacob. Thanks again to the speakers, Connor Alchemist, Max and Stacy, if you're out there. Anybody who comes by, spends their personal time to teach people about Bitcoin and move this bright orange future closer to reality. I really appreciate all you guys and everything that you do. I am your host, Alex Danzig. I work on Bitcoin. If you want to know more about Swan, shoot me a DM. I'm happy to help you. And then finally, get on the mission. If you don't know what that means, hang out. You'll figure it out. It's an awesome mission to be on. Love all you guys. Everybody go out there and have a great day today. Crush it.